today on Ag News Daily. Soybeans still, though, I can tell you five reasons why it should go up. I can tell you five reasons why it should go down, and I'm not sure is the final takeaway of that. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Today is August 13th. It is hashtag Market Monday. My name is Hannah Pegel, one of the co-hosts for the Ag News Daily Podcast, and I am joined by Delaney Howell. Delaney, how is it going today? It's going pretty good, Hannah. We had a nice weekend at the Iowa State Fair. Well, it wasn't really a nice weekend. It was pretty stinking hot, but Mike and I had fun at the Governor's Charity Steer Show. Hannah, unfortunately, Mike beat me. You know, he he did, but, I mean, you had, you know, great steer, and, you know, Mike was representing, you know, he was he was pulling the team forward for Ag News Daily, so it's a yeah, team, he team was. effort there. Yeah, Mike got in the top five. I did not make it to top five. However, I think I did pretty darn good at, at showmanship. So the Iowa Secretary of Agriculture, Mike Nag, won showmanship. I think that that was a cop-out, but that's just me. <laughs> <laughs> you might have uh, some insight on that. I think yeah. you might be a little right there. But mm-hmm. if anything, you and Mike both won the Best Smile Award. So, oh well, thank you. And we appreciated you covering it for us on our social media. If you guys didn't see it on our Facebook or Twitter, you can see some video coverage from the event. If you have no idea what we're talking about with the Governor's Charity Steer Show, check it out on our social media sites. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. But... Delaney, looking at the world of ag news, is there anything jumping out to you? There is quite a bit jumping out at me today, Hannah. Um, I want to start here with some trade news. Over the weekend, China made comments about trade and trade negotiations with the United States moving forward. They said that trade relationship with U.S. may never be the same, even if trade tensions do die down between the two countries and and we do come to the table to find some common ground. They also indicated that they have been looking and growing other partnerships with farmers and with countries who grow a lot of agricultural products because of what's been going on. And they indicated that the American farmer could permanently lose their place in their Chinese markets. So, not super optimistic there today about that. Do you think that's just China being a bully and, you know, trying well, to scare us or? Hannah, that's certainly a possibility. And I, I would hope that that is the case and that they don't think or or want to discontinue trade relationships with us. That would be the hope, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, whenever you start, you know, putting tariffs on other countries and whatnot, like obviously those trade relationships are never going to be the same, right. but it's just how you can work through them, you know, to make things better for the future. But I guess yeah. that's just how China is going to go about it, but we're just going to have to keep our eye on it and keep our farmers and listeners informed. So. But we do have, we did have one other piece of more optimistic news when we look at, at China. Hannah, I know you have been following the Peak Pegasus ship and their journey to get their soybeans into China. And I don't know if you saw today, but that ship, the Peak Pegasus, which was carrying about 70,000 tons of U.S. soybeans, has officially been accepted into a Chinese port yesterday. So that's going to be just one of the first American soybean shipments to arrive in in a Chinese port since the new tariffs have been imposed. I did see that, Delaney, and... 
you know, that's that's great news. I mean, it's been off the coast for almost five weeks, a little bit over a month. Mm-hmm. And yep. but yeah, the China agreed to pay that additional 25% import tariff on that 70 ton cargo. But, you know, it's finally it's finally unloaded. But I guess we never did get our interview with one of the sailors <laughs> on that ship. So now we'll have to we'll have to work on that. But I did. I was reading a little bit further down in the article. It said two other ships are also or have also been stopped, the U.S. star Jennifer and the Semtex Pioneer have also been anchored off of China's coast for the past couple of weeks. So they have not been accepted yet. That's correct. Yep, I think just a couple of shipments have been accepted now since the tariffs have went into place. Do you think that's mainly just because, like, they're just holding off, or do you... I'm trying to think, is that, like, just they don't have a need for it, or... Yeah, you know, I was kind of wondering the same thing. Like, maybe they have been having problems getting soybeans from Brazil or Argentina or the EU, and they just now finally need those U.S. soybeans because they have the need, they have the demand for it, or if they're trying to make concessions, I don't know. It's, uh, yeah, I don't have any insight at this point in time, but. Okay. Well, I am going to switch gears and talk a little bit on a story from California. We have been covering this a little bit, but uh, it's that roundup trial against Monsanto, but a jury awarded $289 million to Dwayne Johnson um, against Monsanto, saying that mm-hmm. Monsanto knew about roundup uh, and something about like it causing cancer but that's what they have ordered and so uh, the verdict came from San Francisco's Superior Court of California where a jury deliberate deliberated for three days and they found that Monsanto failed to warn Johnson and other consumers of cancer risk posed by Roundup and it awarded 39 million dollars in compensatory and 250 million dollars in punitive damages according to a report from Reuters but I have a quote here from Scott Partridge, uh, vice president at Monsanto, saying that, you know, they are sympathetic to Mr. Johnson and his family, but today's decision does not change the fact that more than 800 scientific studies and reviews and conclusions by the EPA and the U.S. National Institutes of Health and Regulatory Authorities around the world support the fact that glyphosate does not cause cancer and did not cause Mr. Johnson's cancer. So, this is, I believe, the first of more than 300 lawsuits against mm-hmm. Monsanto underneath this claim. But we'll have to wait and see what those other lawsuits are going to be like. But it's not it's not great news. And it also looks like uh, some shares of Bayer has slumped at least 12% um, mm. with this news coming out against Monsanto. Yeah, and I think the other piece of that, Hannah, is now with those other however, what did you say, 300 other um, lawsuits going on. Mm-hmm. There are about, there are a couple thousand plaintiffs that are represented throughout those lawsuits. So it opens the door for them to also be awarded monetary uh, for compensatory or punitive damages. That's correct, Delaney, which I don't know. That's it's a, it's a big lawsuit. I mean, between this one on, you know, the West Coast and then the hog lawsuits against Smithfield on the East Coast, there's just a lot of lawsuits going on in the world of agriculture. Yeah, that's true, Hannah. That's true. Well, Delaney, do you have any other news for us? 
Yeah, I did have a couple other pieces of news here, Hannah. And first of all, we've uh, been covering the wildfires or talking a little bit about wildfire damages in the western part of the United States, specifically in California. And I was reading an interesting article today that said um, not only are these wildfires affecting air pollution and, of course, crop ground and livestock in that part of the U.S., but it's also starting to affect air quality in the state of Minnesota and western Canada. State pollution officials in Montana are advising folks to limit their physical outdoor activity due to the smoke and fires from western Canada and from the western U.S. And um, so I guess, folks, if you live in Minnesota, I would definitely uh, try to stay clear and, and keep indoors as much as possible, especially if you live in some of those northern parts of Minnesota that are close to the Canadian border. Yeah, that's interesting, Delady. I remember last summer around this time when there were some, you know, wildfires going on in California, there was, we saw some very, I would say, pretty sunsets, but the reason why they were so uniquely different is because it was the haze and the smoke Mm. that was coming in from those wildfires. So I haven't seen the sunsets that much this week, but that's interesting, though, that it can carry all the way over from, you know, Canada and make it not essentially livable to be outside. So Right. Yeah. Interesting stuff. Hannah, what else do you have today for news? So the U.S. Secretary of Agriculture, Sonny Perdue, announced further reorganization of the USDA. So the USDA intends to improve customer service, strengthen offices and programs, and save taxpayer dollars by reorganizing some of the departments within the department. So it looks like the Economic Research Service, uh, ERS, which is currently underneath USDA's Research, Education, and Economics Mission Area, will realign once again with the Office of Chief Econ- Economics um, underneath the Office of Secretary. Uh, so it looks like it was originally underneath this office, and now it's and then it switched over to the USDA, and now it's going back, but. It looks like some of the it's going to be moving this office outside of the Washington D.C. area, but they're hoping that this will make more sense because the two departments have similar missions and they study the, uh, a little bit of the same thing. So um, it's just kind of relocating departments back into the right area, so to say. Okay, interesting. Hannah, did you have any other news? I'm all out for today. I am actually all out to Delaney, so with that, would you like to get us into the markets? Let's do it, Hannah. And of course, our markets are sponsored by our partners at the Zaner Group, especially with what happened after Friday's WASDE report. You want to have some good people on your team helping you make those marketing decisions, so go ahead and give them a call at three. Give them a call at 312-277-0050, or you can always reach them online if you head to www.zaner, and that's Z-A-N-E-R dot com. Hannah, taking a look at the livestock markets for today, lost a little bit of, a uh, little bit of wind in our sales in the corn markets with September corn contract down one and a quarter cent to close at 356 and a half, while the December contract down a penny and a quarter to end at 370 and a half. Soybeans saw a rally today, even after Friday's bearish WASDE report. The August contract gained seven and a half cents at eight fifty-three and a fourth, at eight fifty-three and a half. Excuse me there. And uh, the November contract gained seven cents to close at eight sixty-eight and three quarters. In the wheat pits, 
The September contract lost 13 and a quarter cents to close at 5.33 and a half, while the December contract lost 16 cents to end the day at 5.53 and a half. Jumping over into the livestock pits, the live cattle contract being read across the board here with the August contract giving up a dollar oh five at 107.20, while the October contract gave up a dollar ten to close at 108.15. Feeder cattle, the story continues. The August contract cut a dollar twenty-five to end at 148.65, while the September contract gave up a dollar oh seven and a half to close at 148.45. Lean hogs seeing some green on the screen today. The August Lean hog contract up 72.5 cents to close at 55.52.5, while the October contract up 47.5 cents to close at 51.65. And of course, we can't forget about our friends in the dairy markets. The August contract gave up a penny today to close at 15.03, while the September contract closed 8 cents lower to end at 16.05. Now, before we get to our conversation for today's Market Monday episode with Naomi Bloom, Let's hear a quick word from our friends at Latham High Tech Seeds. Well, joining me now is agronomy specialist Phil Long from Latham High Tech Seeds. And Phil, thank goodness we have you because Mike and I are no agronomists. And we've heard from a lot of producers and you've heard from a lot of producers about a problem going on right now called frog eye leaf spot disease. Fill us in, Phil. What is that disease and what does it do to soybeans? Sure. So it's a, it's a fungal disease. It's uh, something that we may not hear about quite as often, but, you know, given the conditions we've had, these nice, uh, humid, rainy conditions we seem to keep getting, uh, fortunately, I should say, but uh, tends to favor this kind of disease uh, showing up in the, in the soybean canopy. And the problem with it is it shows up in the top part of the canopy or the upper canopy on the new leaves, which is the ones you want to protect, you know, usually. And uh, that's where it starts to show up as a circular lesion. It's it's a round little circle, and it has a really dark purple uh, halo around the outside. So pretty pretty characteristic of that particular disease. But it it can affect the leaves, stems, and even spread into the seeds as well. So it's something that you want to keep your eye on because it can cause a fair share of damage. And only 30% infection on a leaf can can cause yield loss. Phil, I think you know what my next question is going to be. Is there anything you can do to prevent or treat frog eye when you get it in your field? Yeah, so the best thing to do is, number one, know what it is. You know, that's what I always try to try to encourage people, know what you're diagnosing. But then, you know, it's, it's one that's spread by residue. So, you know, uh, no-till situations typically find it uh, worse in those cases or continuous soybean fields. If there are many of those out there, that's a, something to maybe shy away from for a year or two, not not trying that practice. Um, but just, uh, you know, protecting it all the way up to the really the green bean stage. So R3 is a good time to treat if you're going to use a, a strobilurin-type fungicide on that disease, um, but just keeping it protected until those those seeds are to that, that full seed stage. All right, and any one of the agronomists there at Latham High Tech Seeds, I'm sure will be willing to help folks out if you have questions about your field, and you can reach them at 1-800-GO-LATHAM. Well, we are joined by Naomi Bloom, who is a senior market analyst for Stuart Peterson. Naomi, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us on today's Market Monday episode. Yes, thanks for having me. Naomi, I want to start off here just going over some quick thoughts that you had from Friday's WASDE report. I know we talked about it a little bit here on the podcast, but looking at prices today and the report we had on Friday, I'm kind of shocked by today's market numbers. 
Yeah, so it was interesting to see uh, the market really respond and, and react. So on the overnight trade, uh, grains were sharply lower again with soybean prices down 10 cents, corn was down a nickel, just continuing the fallout after the negative report from Friday. But then what happened when the market was on pause this morning, the uh, USDA announced uh, a you know a decent corn sale and a soybean sale to Mexico, and that kind of just was enough to lift the market. Um, technically speaking, corn and beans had some downside objectives that I think if you're a chart technician you were looking for. And so we had corn finishing the day penny and a quarter lower and, and beans actually up seven. So that was a pretty good deal. Um, looking more for some quiet trade now for the rest of the week and into next week as we square out the month because there's really not going to be too much to talk about till we know what's for sure out in those fields. And, Naomi, in the August crop production report that was sent out on Friday, the USDA said that they anticipate the national average corn yield to be 178.4 bushels per acre and the national average soybean yield to be 51.6 bushels per acre. And some farmers are not so sure of these estimates. So what are your thoughts on these numbers? Are they high? Are they low? Or what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, yeah my thought would be um, it, it does – feel a little high for corn, then that's based on producers I'm talking to across the country and and some different photos that we're seeing across social media. So I'm thinking more like 176 or 175 is appropriate. I do think it is a trend line crop um, because there are pockets where it's great, pockets where it's not so hot, but I think in the middle it's going to end up at trend line. And the beans, of course, um, Anyone's guess yet for sure what's out there. If we get some timely rains over the next two weeks, there could be quite a crop. But then I've got other producers telling me that it's it's not good at all, and, and so it's just different every place you go. Um, but the bottom line takeaway would be that if we end up with just slightly smaller yield numbers, especially for corn, those ending stocks get down to real tight levels again. So that's going to be supportive for the market heading into 2019. But in the short term, a lot of corn out there yet needing to come to market. So we don't have a reason to rally quite now, but post-harvest, I think there there could be, you know, just a nice traditional seasonal move higher, and that'll be a great opportunity to get some forward contracting done for the next crop year. Naomi, is the market pricing in that 178 and the 50, what is it, 51, 56 bushel per acre um, bean yeah. and corn yields? Is that what yeah. the market is factoring in right now, you think? Yep, yep, we're totally back to those levels because – if like back in June when the market started to fall off, and you know because of the tariff stuff, but also trade was thinking 180 bushel mm-hmm. for corn, and they were looking for bigger yields. So yeah, we're back into that mentality for now. Um, but I don't think that we're going to make new lows for corn by any means. I think it's kind of appropriately priced for now. Soybeans still, though, I could tell you five reasons why it should go up. I can tell you five reasons why <laughs> it can go down, and I'm not sure is the final takeaway with that. With the soybean prices, those specifically were the ones that shocked me today because we had such a bull or a bearish report on Friday with such a huge carryover number. Why do you think we saw? I mean, seven seven and a half cents today. That seems like a pretty decent rebound. Yeah, it's it's good. We'll take it. And I think part of it for the beans, you know, now between corn beans and wheat, the beans are the follower in this whole storyline. Um, the wheat market is um, finding some support because of global supplies being mm-hmm. lower. Uh, corn global carryout, like the lowest it's been in decades from the stocks to use ratio. And so corn and wheat are actually, I think, 
supporting the soybeans in the big picture to where soybeans doesn't – I don't think it really wants to commit to selling off because there are some signs of life um, around the world for people buying soybeans again. And I read today that um, there was one U.S. boat getting unloaded in China. Yes. It's the first boat to be unloaded since all of the trade tariff stuff. So there's a little bit of hope there. And so, like I said earlier, I'm thinking now we're going to go into probably some quiet trade, sideways trade action until the end of the month. And, Naomi, you touched a little bit on the wheat market there. You know, the last couple of weeks on, you know, Market Monday, we have been seeing, you know, these big rallies of 15 to 20 cents in the wheat market. And I think this is the first Market Monday where we're, like, down 15, almost 18 cents. Can you maybe explain a little bit what's going on here? Yeah, absolutely. With the Chicago wheat, the Kansas wheat, the Minneapolis wheat, uh, late last week, all of those markets hit um, technical resistance levels on charts, on daily charts, on weekly charts. So I had sent out emails to my clients saying, hey, you know, this is, we're at the highs. This is as good as it's going to get. We've priced in all of the smaller global supplies. And with the USDA report on Friday, um, just kind of confirming those numbers, but not making it an even more bullish story. Now we're just seeing some profit taking happen. And, and it's also part of a, just a little bit of a seasonal correction. Um, I do feel that. Wheat just on profit taking might go another 10 or 15 cents lower, but overall find some good support at those levels. Again, because the global crop is getting smaller, we're starting to hear a little bits of issues of mm-hmm. quality wheat as some of the harvest is getting underway. So there's there's some support to that market. It doesn't have a reason to take off and break through new highs, um, but it doesn't have a reason either to fall apart lower. Now, Naomi, I want to play devil's advocate here for a second because we have a lot of production issues in Russia, in the UK, or in the EU, excuse me, um, and in the Black Sea region, which are big producers of wheat. With those production issues, you still don't think we have the opportunity to break above current resistance levels? Not in the short term, no, I don't. But um, heading closer to 2019, then I, th- I think you could see it from that standpoint because then we'll find out for sure how much wheat was out there. Mm-hmm. Um, is the Black Sea region going to have to do any limiting of what they export? Because every once in a while you hear them do that if if the crop was a little worse than they thought, but they're they're slow to show their hand as well. Um, so, yeah, there's that potential there for down the road, but not in the short term, I don't think so. And looking at harvest, you know, all around in the grain market, you know, there's a lot of talk going on with trade between China, Japan, Mexico, and Canada what should farmers be thinking or looking into for selling their crops? Do you have any advice for them or any tips that they should know about? Yeah, in the in the short term, again, it feels like the market is back to a strategy of of hope and, hey, we're going to get this um, crop sold overseas. And that doom and gloom from June um, is, is not – quite there like it had been, because the market, again, is assuming we're going to get the trade done. Um, On the rallies in the short term, I would say as a producer, those are your opportunities to be making cash sales. The trade talk is always something that is going to be festering in the background, and it can come to light quickly, and and it's the one uncertainty, and who knows, you know, what if we had another black swan because of a trade issue? So I would say be mindful of it, don't ignore it. But at least the trade right now is just kind of putting it to the side, but keeping an eye on it. Um, and and more, we're trading seasonals again. We're trading a rally in the mm-hmm. dollar. 
and other outside market factors are kind of taking the lead for right now. Naomi, I want to look out here really long term, looking into the 2019 growing season as folks are getting through harvest here in a couple of months and then looking for 2019 growing decisions. What do you anticipate to see acreage wise? Do you still expect us to see a large number, 89, 90 million going to corn and soybeans? Or do you think some of those soybean acres are going to transition into other crops this year? Yeah, I'm not sure. I've been wondering the same thing. I've been talking with producers um, to southern Illinois and and Arkansas, and some of them are talking about trying to do a double crop wheat and Mm -hmm. soybean. And um, it does, for the most part, feel like overall producers kind of just try to stick to their normal rotation. But I would say if if the beans don't show some signs of profit, you know, by December when people are starting to make those decisions for seed – um, for the next year, I would, it wouldn't surprise me one bit if, if soybeans lose some acres and maybe in the Dakotas what that means is that they're back to planting more of a traditional thing like sugar beets or sunflower seeds or things like that. So it, it wouldn't surprise me if we lose some bean acres next year. And I don't know that corn picks up the slack. It could be kind of spread out to some of the more traditional crops that were grown mm-hmm. in some of those parts of the country. And Naomi, I want to take it over to the live cattle market. You know, there there really isn't any movement here that's been going on, but I've been reading some reports on how the beef market is picking up speed in countries like China and Japan due to new consumer-driven market. So do you think we will start to see an upward movement here shortly, or what is your take on the cattle market? Yeah, I do not think we're going to see an upward movement. We are watching with bated breath every week to make sure that demand is sticking up and keeping up with the increase of supply that we have of livestock. So um, I I don't think that we're going to see any big dramatic moves. My fear is that if for some reason demand falters, and that could be exports, that could somehow be U.S. domestic consumer demand, um, we have hefty supply. Like the Mm -hmm. example would be um, like normally we see beef production decline by like 150 to 300 million pounds from third into fourth quarter. So normally that happens and that would be, you know, something that supports the market. But this year, instead of a decline in total production, we're supposed to see an increase by 225 million pounds. Naomi, that's that's something I wanted to ask you about too. With this wall of cattle, as we head into the, the fourth quarter here, Expecting to see an increase in production and slaughter, do you think that's really going to happen? Um, um, I don't know is is the answer. I don't know that I'm um, in tune with the hooves on the ground, so to okay. speak, to know well enough. Um, but based on my clients talking, I mean, there, there's, I ask them, okay, tell me where you got your for you know cash cattle sales and things like that, and I'm like, that's more cattle than you had last year. Mm-hmm. So I think that there is the small production increases from many producers doing small increases. And so I I do think that we'll see that down the road. I was reading something, you know, there's a drought in Australia, so they're concerned, you know, is that going to be short-term more cattle coming to market because they can't um, feed them because of the drought? Um, So there's just a lot of other things in the background right now, too. But as long as demand can stay strong, we're going to be okay, but we don't have a reason to see a big rally, and I'm concerned if things work lower. And I don't think we're going to get that final answer 
until probably halfway through fourth quarter, then we'll get a better direction and idea of which way this market could break out. Absolutely. Naomi, I want to ask you a, a lean hog question here. It seems like when the trade and tariff news happened, the lean hog market really didn't respond to those tariff threats. Now we're seeing pretty low prices when we look out at the August, October, December contract prices. Is it because they're just now factoring in in the tariff and trade news, or is it because the this, this summer seasonal rally is over? What's going on? Shed some light for us there. Yeah, with that hog market, um, kind of a combination of things where we've had a um, a technical rally, and that's triggering short covering. Um, but overall, um, I do think it's kind of a little bit of everything that you touched on. I, I can't put my finger on it specifically as far as which one aspect of it, but we'll take it. We'll take these higher prices however they're coming here. Yeah, absolutely. And, Naomi, I want to take it over to the dairy market. So, you know, looking at this market, there really hasn't been anything driving this market forward, at least in the past couple of weeks. Is that mainly because school is not in session still? Or, you know, what needs to happen to maybe see a positive upward trend? Yeah, so um, the one thing that's happened over the past month with the milk markets, um, the, the spot cheese prices have increased, and in fact, um, cheese is, actually only about four cents away from the high of the year, and we've had um, the whey market actually having a new all-time high last week. And so those two components have actually pulled the milk futures up over a dollar in the past month. Um, so it's it's because of those two components that milk has rallied, but now we're at a point where we get back into that low to mid $16 range, and then we're faced with the reality that we have – an overproduction of milk. So we're, you know, watching this cash cheese market to see if it can continue to lead. Um, dairy exports overall have been okay, but again, the theme of overproduction is still so prevalent, as was evident on the last milk production report, up again like another percent. So that has to change. We need less production, and I doesn't, I don't know when that's going to happen, but I haven't seen it yet, really. Yeah, and overproduction kind of seems to be a story across most of the commodity markets at this point in time. Yeah, absolutely. That is definitely the theme. And now with that U.S. dollar, um, you know, finding some strength, it makes me a little nervous for commodities. And mm. uh, we have to keep an eye, of course, with the trade issues. But we're also watching harvest and to see for sure what's out there with um the total grain production is, is paramount, and then as long as the U.S. economy is going strong, it's at least encouraging for, for protein demand. The consumers will hopefully be able to keep on affording it as we head back to school. And, and like you had said, with milk um, going back to school, the kids hopefully will be drinking more milk, and that will help improve demand as well, too. Absolutely. Naomi Bloom, thank you so much for breaking down the markets for us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's good to talk to you girls again. We'll talk to you again soon. And again, that was Naomi Bloom and Delaney. I think Naomi did a great job, you know, breaking down the markets for us. What do you think? I think so, Hannah. I always appreciate Naomi's insight into the commodity markets. Well, that kind of does it for today. Tomorrow we've got a Tech Tuesday podcast coming up. And Hannah, are you done at the fair? Or are you going to continue uh, continue running around there for a couple more days? 
you know, I am all done at the Iowa State Fair in terms of, you know, helping my family with the dairy show and, like, whatnot. I do have, like, an extra ticket or two that I might just, like, use up one day, you know, in the evening just so that way I use it up and get my last fair share of fair food. So what about you, Delaney? Oh, I'm there all week, Hannah. All week. So the fair is still going to rally for you. Okay. It sure is. It sure is. And um, administrator, new administrator, EPA administrator, Andrew Wheeler is going to be at the Iowa State Fair this afternoon. So I'm going to try and catch some comments from him. And if you've got anything good to share, we'll definitely post that on the podcast tomorrow. Ooh, that is awesome. Great news to hear. So... Well, Delaney, if our listeners want to hear from past podcasts, where can they go for more information? Great question, Hannah. They can head to agnewsdaily.com where you can listen to any of our previous episodes. You can also head to Facebook and Twitter and search for at agnewsdaily to find any of our content, any of our photos or or videos shared from the Governor's Charity Steer Show. Or if you just want to chat with Mike and I, just head to one of those two sites. With that, Hannah, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.